He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Hi. As I sit here in the studio at WABC Radio, uh, the song says, Joker is to the left of me, but... <laughs> To the left of me, actually, is Doug DePiro, hey, Dick, how you doing? <clears throat> who is no joker. He's a <laughs> Renaissance man, Ooh. super genius. Yeah, but more like Wild E. Coyote, super, this super guy, genius. This guy builds and restores classic cars and motorcycles. Huh. He paints wall murals for the rich and famous and for me. He does photorealism portraits of women, generally with their clothes on. No, come on. <clears throat> Children, horses, and most of all, dogs, and so much more. But more than that... I want you to know he's my irrepressible and irreplaceable friend. <laughs> That's so wrong. Our friendship is really a fusion. He's Yonkers, and I'm West End Avenue. <laughs> More like a fission. <laughs> <laughs> it's an honor to be here with you, Dick. Well, I'm Seriously. Glad, glad it you're really here. is. Um, so, there is a, like Ronald Reagan, I switched parties and uh, from a Democrat to a Republican. But unlike President Reagan, I carried a lot of baggage with me from my days as a Democrat, namely the Clintons. And uh, some people have texted me and written me and called in confused about my relationship with the Clintons and confused about what happened between us. And some even accuse me of a residual loyalty. Well, she sends you a card all the time, right? Every Christmas I get a card from Hillary, but it has white powder on the outside, oh, right, right, so right. I don't open it. <laughs> You have one of your minions open it. <laughs> so, yeah, you. Like, start, start the car. I'm not starting yeah. the car. You start the car. <laughs> okay, so the the story is that I was Bill Clinton's chief strategic advisor for 20 years, uh, from 1977 until 1996. And uh, I got him elected governor. Uh, he fired me. Then he lost. Thank God. Then he I got brought me back. I got him reelected, so I ran his campaigns where he got elected governor in 78, 82, 84, 86, and in 90. But I never liked Hillary. Uh, it was always my relationship was with Bill. Hillary was a damn good campaign manager, but uh, she made the trains run on time. But uh, fundamentally, she was not honest, and fundamentally, she... Would she had an attitude that she was the God's last hope on earth, and still, that right? she could do, she could rob and kill and steal and everything she because she was the best hope of humanity. Uh, it was like Mother Teresa wants to feed the homeless in Calcutta, so she hijacks the jets, kills the oh, pilot, well, hold and on, hold on, flies there faster. Hold on, please don't, please don't compare it to Mother so, Teresa. So it's her concept of the ends justifying the means was was incredible. And the thing that really alienated me from her was in the 1992 presidential campaign, she was concerned, obviously, about Bill Clinton's women. So she had Betsy Wright, her chief uh, her operative, really planted in the Clinton campaign, the Clinton administration, <clears throat> sat down with Bill at Hillary's direction and said, okay, give me a list of all the women. When Bill didn't want to, when he she dragged it out of him. And what about that one you see when you're jogging? And how about the uh -huh. one you met at the nightclub? And how about the one you saw in the hotel? And how about the one at the AFL convention? And oh so my on. God. And eventually she got a list of them, something like 20 or 30 of them. That's it? And she sat down with him and learned who they were and then turned the list over to Hillary. And Hillary did not want it for divorce or revenge or for a lecture. She wanted it to get blackmail material on each of these women so that they would shut up and not rat Bill Clinton out. And she hired a special law firm of detectives to investigate them and special detective operatives to investigate these women, not to threaten them and to, not to make them stop seeing her husband, but to threaten them with all kinds of mayhem if they came out. Uh, this this girl had an abortion. Uh, this woman had a failed marriage and was abusive. 
Uh, this woman had a child taken away from her. Uh, this woman uh, was went bankrupt twice. All kinds of stuff like that. This woman was arrested for shoplifting. And she dug up dirt on every single one of them. Wow. And in some cases where there wasn't dirt, she dangled opportunities. She would get a hold of Hollywood producers who would promise them great roles and great scripts if only they remained silent. <laughs> and I called those operatives the secret police. And the phrase caught on and everybody began talking about it. And, uh, and I've always held that against Hillary. The key thing about Hillary to understand is that at the root of her conduct always lies a scandal. And everything she does, most 90% of her corruption, is to cover up the initial scandal. I always refer to it as the original sin. Hmm. And there are three original sins that dominated her, have dominated her career. The first one is that she made 100000 bucks on the futures market for an investment of $1,000. And was water. obviously insider trading. It was in the Whitewater period, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but and it was obviously insider trading. And she got advice from a guy named Jim Blair, who was the poultry lobbyist for uh, the uh, for Tyson Foods, and in Arkansas. And on his advice, she traded futures and made a thousand dollars into a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, which was illegal. Mm-hmm. That was the first original sin. To cover that up, she refused to release her tax returns because she didn't want to have the people to know that she made 100000 Then the Whitewater scandal broke, and the Washington Post said, we won't cover it aggressively if you release your tax returns and we see that you didn't make anything off Whitewater. And she didn't, but she made a bundle off the futures market, the commodities market. So she refused to release the tax returns, and that caused all of the Whitewater scandal, all of the prosecutors, all of everything— to cover up that original sin. The second original sin involved Bill's women. Hillary knew all about them and tolerated them because it gave her clout over her husband. It gave her the ability to discipline him, Mm. not to get him to stop seeing women. That was impossible. But to get him to do anything else she wanted them to do. And every time it was exposed, they would go through this ritual where she would be outraged, he would be contrite, he would beg forgiveness, she would grant it, and then she'd give him a list of things she wanted. <laughs> As a result of the, uh, of the Paula Jones scandal, she said she wanted the ability to name the attorney general. She wanted it to be a woman, and she had to make the appointment. They went through two failed candidates before they set it on Jan- settled on Janet Reno, who was terrible. Secondly, she wanted an office in the West Wing. Most first ladies had to be in the East Wing, the residence, and couldn't be part of the action. And thirdly, she wanted a portfolio that she could control herself. Originally, she wanted a cabinet job of attorney general. And I told her that there would be hell to pay for that, uh, but suggested Department of Education instead. And she said, yeah, that would be great. And then they checked the law and found out that there was an anti-nepotism statute passed after Bobby Kennedy uh, became attorney general. And you couldn't appoint your wife. So I said, how about a task force? She said, okay, about what? And I said, welfare reform. And she said, good. And then she switched her mind and said, health care. And I said, no, you want to be, to be a conservative task force, maybe saving money in government. She said, no, she wanted health care. And then she went down that road to disaster. But in the course of trying to cover up the bills, but she had to cover up bills womanizing in public. And the reason was that if she didn't, her marriage to him was a fraud. It was illegitimate. If she, if she let it be known that she knew that he screwed around and she didn't stop him and she didn't mind and didn't divorce him, the marriage would be seen as an act of political opportunism and hence invalid and illegitimate. <clears throat> and she was first lady. You don't get elected first lady. You get married into the job. Hmm. And if the marriage was fraudulent, then her claim to power and status was illegitimate. So she had to cover it up. So when Paula Jones sued uh, Bill, uh, saying that he had uh, lured her into his hotel room and stuff, uh, she offered to settle for no money and no apology. And I was begging Bill to do it. 
but he couldn't do it because Hillary would not let him admit that he had had that he'd sent a state trooper down to the lobby of that hotel to bring Paula Jones up. I said, come on, there were a hundred reasons for it. She's a state worker. Say it was on state business. Hillary wouldn't budge. So because of that, we got a special prosecutor. We got into trouble with the Lewinsky scandal. Hmm. We got impeached, all because this crazy, stupid, stubborn woman would not agree to say that that he sent the trooper down to bring her up to the room, Hmm. even though there was no sexual innuendo involved. The third original sin was that when she became Secretary of State, she decided to cash in, and she figured out how to do it. She and Bill set up a uh, firm uh, called, um, blocking on the name, but a firm to go around uh, basically finding out who wanted what from the State Department, and they would hire this firm to advise them on how to get it. And the advice always was hire Bill to give a speech. So Bill would go all over the world giving speeches. Hillary couldn't do it because she was a public official. And he would be paid hundreds of thousands. He got $1 million from Putin to give a speech. Really? And in return got access to our uranium supply. Hmm. Uranium uh, one? Yeah. And, uh, and, the, and th- this was a racket they had going with the Clinton Foundation would sponsor Bill to give a speech he would go out, give a speech with pious nothings. He would get money. And then the the sheikh, the head of Kazakhstan, the dictator of Russia, the head of the pipeline company in Canada, would all get favors from the U.S. government worth millions and millions of dollars. Mm. But she had to cover that up because it was illegal. So to cover it up, she had to not use the White House email system. She had to use her own email oh, system because no. she didn't want the emails to be subpoenaed and read in public. So she set up this whole cover-up of emails that led to the email scandal that cost her the presidency. Oh. And it was all a cover-up for the original sin of the pay-for-play relationship. So I sat there in the White House realizing that every single scandal we had was not the result only of Bill Clinton's imprudence. It was that but also the result of her stubborn, stu- stupid tenacity in refusing to admit what was obvious to everybody. And then ultimately that destroyed her. And uh, my conclusion from all of this was... So my bottom line on the Clintons is that Bill Clinton was a pretty good, pretty damn good president from the neck up. (laughs) And Hillary is an impossible, lying, cheating, and you're no good. This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show. Sell in May and go away. Crash is king. As the sell-off in the stock market has crushed... Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. That was great, Dick. That was really great. So give me a call, 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Now, a lot of people are saying, Oh, I love Donald Trump's policies, but I don't like the guy. I don't think he should run again. We should go with somebody like DeSantis, and he'll be Trump light, and we won't have any of that baggage. We'll have a much better shot at winning. But my view, embodied in a new book that I have just written, that's just come out, it'll be published officially in two weeks, but you can pre-order it now from Amazon.com, and they'll send it to you on publication day, which is July 12th. Pre-order it now. It'll really help me get on the bestseller list. I would appreciate that. And um, the book is entitled The Return, The Big Comeback of Trump in 2024. The Return. And my position is it has to be Trump. Yeah. 
it had to be you. It had to be you. I wandered around and I finally found the somebody who. It had to be you. And the reason it has to be, there are really three basic reasons why it has to be Donald Trump can't be a substitute. The first is that with Trump, we all know he will keep his promises. It's not a pledge. It's not a commitment. It's not swearing on his mother's soul or his mother's grave or stacked Bibles or any of that nonsense. It's the fact that he did it. Right. And we are sitting this week in the middle of the two biggest promises kept overruling Roe Mm -hmm. and clearing the way for carry of guns. I mean, huge promises, the centerpieces of his campaign. And everything else he kept, the wall was built and it stopped illegal immigration. He raised tariffs on China and it cut back their trade. He achieved energy independence and freed us from foreign blackmail. Uh, He built up our defenses to a point where you see how effective our weapons are being in Ukraine. He demolished ISIS, killed them all. That alone, that alone was great. And by the way, the the inside story about that is the reason we never got ISIS eliminated was because, and I'm really not kidding here. The oil? Yeah. The (laughs) greenies said, don't bomb the oil fields. I, I know that ISIS gets all of its money from the oil wells it's captured, and it sells that oil, and that's how it funds itself. And I know we could bomb them and take them out in a minute, but it would cause pollution. It would cause global warming. The uh, the debris from the oil would raise the Earth's temperature for a few weeks. And because of that, we never did it. And because of that, ISIS continued to dominate uh, the Middle East until Trump got in, blasted the hell out of the oil wells, and ISIS folded. Yeah, he said, yeah, okay, good. Okay, thank you. So the first reason is that you know he's going to keep his promises. Mm. In running against an incumbent, the most open seat, the most important thing to do is when you throw a negative and you say, look, this guy raised crime, this guy allowed illegal immigration, this guy caused inflation, people come back at you and say, yeah, well, you're not going to do any better. And Trump can answer that in one sentence. The sentence is, I did, Mm. period. And that gives him a tremendous, tremendous lever. The second reason is that Trump discovered a new voter group, a new ethnic group that had not existed before in American politics. They were there, but nobody knew they were there. They were tacked away in what was called flyover country in the Midwest and throughout the country, high school educated, but not college educated, blue collar men and women. And they're, they're, you know, a small minority. They're 36% of the country. A third of America falls mm. into that description. And yet the politicians ignored them completely. They were bi-coastal. There was East Coast and West Coast and what's in between, flyover country. And even within the East and West Coast, they paid only attention to college-educated people. And Trump said, nope, these are Americans. This is the backbone of the country. I'm going to focus on them, and I'm going to fight Chinese imports that are taking away their jobs. I'm going to fight illegal immigration that's taking the jobs that they could otherwise get. I'm going to hold inflation down. I'm going to get us energy independence so that we can keep the gas prices low. And his whole agenda was aimed at helping blue-collar Americans, a group that the left had totally forgotten. Did you have anything to do with that? Well, yeah, but it was Trump's idea. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I helped him do it. Look, the way I worked with Donald Trump is that he would come up with the ideas. He would come up with the menu of ideas. But then I would help him decide what to have tonight for dinner. Mm, (laughs) I couldn't tell him, you know, cook uh, cook chicken scarpariello because he might not have known how to do it. But uh, but but he did know how to make spaghetti, yeah. and I could say, okay, tonight let's have spaghetti. <laughs> and uh, so I, I helped him do all of that, and uh, and then uh, and and he understood how to reach that voter group, and it became the basis of his political career. And I don't think any other candidate would be able to access them because it's not a question of his positions; it's a question of the way he talks, 
his style, his bluntness, his arrogance, if he didn't take everybody else on and beat the hell out of them and go after, you know, Rosie McDonald for her weight uh, and stuff like that, that many people found offensive. The blue-collar voters loved it. And uh, it became an essential part of his of his shtick, and no other candidate will be able to do that. You know, Dick, he, I always said he basically was building buildings in Manhattan all his life with teamsters and gangs, all different type of people, and that's the way he was. Listen, you're fired. Get out. I'm done with you. Yeah. And that's how he talks, and yeah. he, people don't like to hear that. Get right. out of here. Go, go, go right to the bathroom. About that. And the other ethnic group he discovered was Hispanics. They were just a notch on the uh, the rainbow coalition, mm-hmm. but they never got the pot of gold. They were so overshadowed by the black community and the black leaders and the African-American demands that nobody paid attention to the Hispanics. Of course, the Democrats would keep trying to open the border so more could come in, and that's how they appealed to Hispanics. But Trump realized the Hispanic voters he wanted were already here, by mm. definition. Mm-hmm. They were citizens, they were enrolled to vote, and he wanted their votes. And for them, immigration was a long, distant memory. They're, yeah, my grandmother came here, or my father came here, right. or I came here as a kid. But long distant. I'm more concerned about the problems I face now. But the big thing in their family heritage was that they knew that they had fled oppression. They knew that their family had left drug cartels, rampant crime, political repression, and that they were determined to find the land of the free and the safe and the secure, Mm. and they found it in America. And then when the crazies in Antifa and all of that began acting up, defunding the police, decriminalizing drugs, uh, ending deportations, uh, letting anybody in, They said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't want my country turned back into Nicaragua, where I came from, Uh or El Salvador. I don't want that, or Cuba. I came here because of what it is, and you're not going to change this country on me. And Trump realized that. It was the key to the campaign. And when Antifa and everybody were going crazy and tearing down statues and stuff, everybody said, oh, that'll help Trump because of white, blue-collar voters. And it did a little bit. We got some gains with them, but we'd largely maxed out. But the key thing it did was Latino voters. And in my book, The Return, I document how we cooked this up, we pushed the issue, and we slanted the issue in such a way that it would appeal to Latino voters on precisely the basis of don't make this country something it's not and don't make it into the kind of country that I left. Hmm. So... And and in the book, The Return, I go through in detail how we did each of these things, going after blue collars, going after Hispanics. But fundamentally, the key idea here is that it was all Trump's ideas, Trump's thoughts, Trump's policies. Bill Clinton was different. Bill Clinton, you could tell him what to think. And if it didn't offend certain parameters that he had, ideological or moral or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, he would go do it. But with Trump, it wasn't that. He had his own reaction, his own view, his own visceral view, and you weren't going to change it. But within the parameters of that, you could suggest what he needed to do. Right. And this is really the first book that's been written about the 2020 campaign. No other book is about it. Um, uh, Kelly, uh, uh, Kelly, what's your name? Yeah. Uh, Anyway, her book uh, is, is about, the 96 campaign. This is about the 2020 campaign and gives you a real understanding of how Trump worked as president. And I think it was, it's, it's crucial and it's a great, great read. So please pre-order it from Amazon or barnesandnobles.com. This is the Dick Morris Show on 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. You know, Trump said it best on the jacket of my book. He said, Dick Morris and I conferred regularly throughout the 2016 and 2020 campaigns. He helped me hone my message and aim it at the right audience. 
His father was my attorney, and he is my counselor, and I'm grateful to them both, and I'm grateful to have worked for Donald Trump. You had to work for Bill Clinton first to really understand how special it is to work for Donald Trump. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Now, the Supreme Court decision on abortion. fundamental fact about abortion in terms of the public reaction to it and opinion is that only 17 this is the Pew Research, which is the best polling group there is, impartial, nonpartisan, academic. 17% of all voters say abortion should be legal in all cases. 8% of all voters say abortion should be illegal in in all cases. So that's only 27% of the electorate that believes that abortion should be legal or illegal in all cases. Everybody else, 72%, feel there are gradations. It should be legal sometimes, illegal sometimes. Mm -hmm. Break it down. Uh, 35% say abortion should be legal in most cases, but in some cases it shouldn't be like rape, incest, life of the mother, or late term. And then another group of 20-something percent say it should be illegal in most cases, but there are exceptions. Again, rape, incest, and stuff like that. And the political reality is that the pro-life and pro-choice, by the way, I'm not going to call them pro-life anymore because they're not entitled to that. They are pro-abortion. Uh, they want to have abortions to say. No, pro choice is pro. Oh, I'm sorry, pro choice. Right. Yeah, there's pro life who are pro life, and then there are pro choice. They're not pro choice, they're pro abortion. That's right. There's no choosing. They yeah. want. That's right. And the abortion people will force their candidates to be purely pro abortion. Mm-hmm. They'll make them say, I want to have no restrictions on abortion. I want to be able to have it right up to the moment of delivery. It's none of the government's damn Woman's business. Right I want them out of my bedroom mm-hmm. and out of my life. And we should have the right to control our own bodies, and we should not have any regulation of abortion. And we also will support Medicaid funding of abortion. Oh, great. And we'll oppose parental consent for abortion. Mm-hmm. We'll even oppose parental notification on abortion. <laughs> so the idea is— Like and, for underage? So, yeah. <laughs> so they—well, mainly underage, but— yeah. What they'll do is they'll take the position that 17% of the voters have that abortion should be legal all the time in all cases, and they'll make their candidates say it. Otherwise, they won't win the primaries, and they won't get the nomination, and they won't get money, and they won't get volunteers, and they won't get enthusiasm. And that will be the kiss of death. Now, the same thing is going to go on on the right wing. The pro-life groups are going to make their candidates say, I'm against all abortion, period, no matter what the circumstances are. The second after conception, I'm against abortion. In fact, they'll try to ban the pill, the morning after pill, which is literally the second after conception. And that will be as poisonous to conservative candidates as the overall pro-abortion position will be to liberal candidates. Only 8% of the voters agree that abortion should always be illegal in all cases. <clears throat> so between the, pro, between the pro-abortion groups structuring the candidacies of the left to be extremists and the pro-life groups structuring the candidates on the right to be extremists, the rest of the electorate is going to hate everybody's positions on abortion. Mm-hmm. They're going to loathe the left and loathe the right and grope for the center. We had a center. We had a pretty good consensus in the Mississippi law. That was a damn good law, and the polling showed people really liked it, which is you can have an abortion up to 15 weeks, but after that, no dice. And that was a good law, a good compromise. But compromise has gone out the window entirely, both as a result of the court decision and as a result of the 
uh, stridency of the left in demanding a pure solution to abortion. And the power of the Roe decision gives the states to make those kinds of decisions. So, like, there's a campaign for governor going on in Pennsylvania that is crucial to the future of democracy, really, and certainly Trump's election. Uh, Doug Mastriano is the Republican, and Josh Shapiro is the Democrat. He's the attorney general. Mastriano is a state senator. Mastriano won the primary because he said the election of 2020 was rigged, it was fixed, it was corrupt, and he demanded an audit, and he demanded all kinds of stuff. And the Republicans in Pennsylvania loved that, and they nominated him. Josh Shapiro is the ultimate radical leftist you could want or not want, and he's running on a typical left platform. But on abortion, uh, Mastriano is going to say no abortion ever, and Shapiro is going to say all abortion all the time, up to to the uh, 40th week, up to delivery. In fact, some even say... After delivery, so there's a disgusting. statute in New York that oh, could be used for that. So friggin' disgusting. And, and the point is that those are going to be the two extremes. So Shapiro will run an ad attacking Mastriano, saying even in the case of rape and incest or the life of the mother being involved, Doug Mastriano says no to abortion. And then Mastriano will come back with another ad and say, Shapiro favors an abortion right on the delivery table. Mm. The kid, the baby can be on the way out. Shoot him on the way out. Uh, Because they they never recognize the fetus as a person, even right before they're born, the instant before they're born. And everybody will believe both ads. Mm -hmm. And abortion will can't, the extremes will cancel each other out. Right. And will have no political impact. First of all, because people are determined to focus on the cost of living and the issues vital to them. But they're not going to focus on abortion as the key issue uh, because both sides are going to be saying things they hate, and that will cancel one another wow, out. that's amazing. Let's get some questions about that. Al and Yonkers. Hey, one of your buddies. Hey, Yonkers. Hey, d- uh, gentlemen, thank you for taking my call. Hey, I- where I in Yonkers it. are you from? Uh, Northwest Yonkers. They Good. call it the North End, the Hill. By, uh, Unt- Untermi- by Untermeyer's? Yeah, yeah, a little south of there, yes. That's a Yonkers creature. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, again, gentlemen, you know, I just wanted to say that uh, Clarence Thomas, who wrote the uh, decision uh, for the majority with this reversal yeah. of Roe, uh, you know, when he was confirmed in uh, 91, as he said in his own words, it was a high-end, uh, high-tech uh, lynching. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, he was over. He was able to get confirmed, fifty-two to forty-eight. Yep. Because some southern moderate Democrats came over to uh, do the yeah. right thing. Uh, I believe this decision that, in regards at least to uh, the third trimester, and that most the, the silent majority in this country believe that this was the right. Uh, Reversal, and I think as we move forward, uh, uh, you know, it was definitely yeah. the right thing to do, and that it should should have been returned to the states. Yeah, well, I personally agree with that, but my job here is to be political, and I was explaining how the extremes on this position are going to cancel each other out. And thank you for your call, uh, Al. Thanks, Al. Uh, let's go to um, let's go to. Uh, I'm sorry, we don't have any more calls about abortion. So um, let's go back to the Hillary segment. George from what? Jack from the Supreme Court. Okay, Jack and Hackensack. Jack and Hackensack. Hey, Jack. Hildebeest. Hey, my buddy. How's my buddy? And what's your sidekick's name? (laughs) He's really a nice guy, and I I like him. Doug's sidekick uh, is named Dick Morris. (laughs) Whenever I refer to Nancy Pelosi as Nasty Putana. Putana. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, this is a G.I. Gino Jersey Jack back in Hackensack. And, Dick, I'm going to hit a couple of bombshells with this situation. I'm glad it was overturned. And, of course, even up before Roe versus Way, uh, it was also up to the states in many cases. But it's just outrageous that the Catholic Church and many other religions, where are they? How come they haven't proclaimed this? How come the current pope, who's a left-wing, leftist loon, he he terribly called um, Trump, candidate Trump, not a Christian. He's not a god. He doesn't know what's in Trump's heart. 
But the idea is he gave up. He gave yeah. up uh, Biden yeah. a clean bill of health as a good Catholic when Biden takes your colleague Bill O'Reilly, and I agree with him. He takes uh, uh, local, state, federal taxes of people like yeah. myself who are against abortion and well, kills babies with a yeah, okay. abortion. I agree what? with you completely. The Pope should never, should not have been silent in this. Right. If there's one fundamental precept of the Catholic religion, and I say this as a convert to Catholicism, it is that life is sacred and that it's a gift of God mm-hmm. and that man cannot take it away. And uh, I think that it's it's very important that they do that, and it's very important that he speak out, and I'm shocked that he hasn't spoken out. So we're going to take a break now, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the gun decision. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. I'll get to the calls about Hillary and Bill in a minute. I want to spend a segment, spend a segment on guns. Um, I believe that the gun decision, the concealed carry decision, is critically important for a reason that nobody has spoken about. Until now, the emphasis of the pro-Second Amendment crowd, the NRA, the opposition to gun control, has been for hunting and fishing and target practice, and the fun of having a gun, and only secondarily an issue of self-defense. But the decision on the concealed carry puts public sa- puts safety and self-defense number one on the list of reasons to permit guns to be carried outside of the home. It makes it number one. And with the crime explosion going on in the country today and the lack of prosecution, and defunding of the police, and handcuffing the ones you have so that they're scared to death to make an arrest. This is our last and best line of defense against crime. This is something in self-defense. And I think that it can transform the whole gun control debate Um, from school shootings and stuff where obviously, as I've said before, you need cops in the schools and metal detectors, but to take to tell people they can't carry handguns on the street is to say trust the cops, trust the prosecutors, trust the system to make sure that you're safe and that there are no bad people out there on the street. Ain't doing that. And we know that that ain't happening. And the fact that it's not happening is the reason why that decision was correct. So don't put the decision down. Put the gun down. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And and the and the, there is a statistic. There's a wonderful book by a guy named John Lott, L O T T, called "More Guns, Less Crime," where he does a statistical study of gun control states and finds that where there is no gun control, the murder rates and the gun violence rates are lower. Right. I've seen that. <clears throat> now the left loves to say there are forty six thousand gun deaths every year in the United States. There are. What they don't tell you is that 23,000 of them are suicides. Okay? No gun control law is going to stop suicide. They'll hang themselves. They'll stab themselves. They'll poison themselves. They'll take overdoses of pills. They won't shoot themselves. Is that progress? Is that really something to be achieved and savored? The point is that gun control is not its own issue. It is a subset of the crime issue. 
it is the outgrowth of the failure of society to achieve law and order. <clears throat> when Bragg says he's not going to prosecute people for violent crimes or he's going to slap them on the wrists, that is a statement that justifies concealed carry of firearms. Right. When the left says defund the police, that is a statement that triggers the need for an absence of gun control, the need for Second Amendment freedom. And we have got to change the nature of the debate. So gun control isn't over here as an issue, and crime is over here as an issue. The decision marries them together in a very important way, and that's where we have to be. That's the key element we need to follow. Uh, Clarence Thomas was absolutely right in highlighting that and highlighting self-defense as the key motivation for overturning New York's concealed carry law. Let's go to uh, Judith, my old friend. Judith. In Brooklyn. Hey, Judith. Hey. Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen. I like that. Gentlemen, okay? Wow. Listen, Dick. One of us. Dick. Yeah, hi, Doug. Ah. Hi, Doug. Hi, Doug. <laughs> hi, Judith. I'm not, I'm not ignoring you. Dick, listen, I, number, I've got three things to say. I hope I can do it fast. Number one, I so appreciate your inside information, whether it be about hateful Hillary or the guy that hateful I happen to like, Hillary. Donald Trump. Okay, yeah. Uh, I so appreciate it, and that's one of the reasons why you need to be a little longer than just on Sunday, you know, because we've learned so much from the inside stories. We like to really understand and, and, and know more about it. So, good, good. you know, it's, uh, you hit on some things here. Number one, and two things, okay? Number one, I've heard lately some of the hosts— Are the two things a subset of the first thing, or is that, it the other two thing. things superseding the three things? The other thing, not, not the confused. first thing. The other thing. Do you have red hair, <laughs> Judith? Two- Judith, do you have red hair? <laughs> no, I don't have red hair. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Judith. Um, l- listen, um, yeah, Dick l- and Doug, um, number one, I'm hearing sentiments about some hosts, some hosts are saying that they don't want Trump to run, they'd rather have DeSantos run, and one of the reasons because they don't want the drama anymore. And here I'm thinking, what if you think that if they're not going to stop harassing whoever it is is going to be right. DeSantos, uh-huh. and they're going to they're make him just as miserable as they were making uh, Donald Trump miserable. Sure. It's not going to change. The drama is going to be there. That's that's how I feel. Absolutely. And the other thing is, with the guns, you are so right. And I have to tell you, I'm outraged at this Democratic governor, Kathy Hochul, and the others. She goes instead. She wants to fight us to have our civil rights now to defend ourselves. And we're in this crime-riddled environment here in New York and whatever, which the Dems are responsible for. Instead of going after Al- Alvin Bragg, like you say, instead of going after Carl Hasty and the other one, Cousins for Bail Reform, because they're part of this whole crime thing. This is the reason why we're in this mess, plus George uh, Soros. There she is, and she's now vowing that she's now going to go and fight against the Supreme Court decision to allow us to carry concealed yeah. weapons or whatever. Good, good luck what with that. What do you that. think? Well, good luck with that. Hochul is a yokel. She doesn't know how the system works, and she is trying to— The last people who said I'm going to defy the Supreme Court were George Wallace and the segregationists in the South, and it didn't work out too good for them. Uh, I think that Hochul can't, on the one hand, say, we're going to let you go after arrest without bail. We're not going to have mandatory minimum sentences. We're going to cut back police funding. We're going to change the rules so that defense attorneys have far more power at the trial. But we're not going to let you defend yourself because we won't let you carry guns. She can't get away with both of those. She just can't. Thank you, Judith, and bless you for your comments on on the show. Uh, Let's go to Lou in Portchester. Hey, Lou. Hey, guys. Hey, hey, I I thought that was an interesting point, and if I understood you right— it's almost like the 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 uh, the argument, the mantra for the the gun control uh, or the gun uh, the uh, uh, the gun ad, uh, rights people. I forgot now the yeah. acronym um, uh, has been. It's almost like a, like they were selling it as a loophole or like a tax shelter. In other right. words, it was always all about hunting. Yeah. And and I kind of I, I didn't think about it until you said it. And it really hit me that. Yeah. If, if I understood what you what you were yeah. saying, is that you really have to kind of direct the premise to what it actually really is. And, and the only hunting that goes on in Central Park is of people. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. right. And no, I, 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 I yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's an interesting 
uh, take at it. And yeah. uh, I, I think they've been reluctant to, to, to say what well, it really is. But maybe part, maybe part of it, thank you for your comment, Lou. Part of it is that the debate has been over possession of firearms. And okay, uh, what you have at home is is one issue. But when you but and what you have at home, it'll protect you against someone burglarizing your home or trying to kill you in your home. But most of the crime people need to be protected against is when they're out in the street, yeah, right. out in public. Sure. And this decision is only about that. And the burden of it is that it means that the Second Amendment gives you the right to protect yourself with a firearm. And that is the key to it. It is protection. And as long as we have the crime rates we do because of the crazy, stupid liberal policies we do, we have got to permit people to defend themselves because we're stopping everybody else from really defending them. Thank you. Uh, Let's go to Jay in New Jersey. Hey, Dick and uh, Doug. Um, So it looks like Hogel and uh, Eric Adams are basically planning and plotting to make sure that you can't carry a gun in trains and cabs. Uh, Maybe they're going to say you can't go across bridges. Who knows? (laughs) Maybe they're also going to say restaurants, it looks like. I mean, Jay, every place you have to have a mask, you can't have a gun. But listen, (laughs) listen, they know damn well that those laws are going to be thrown out. They can read the Supreme Court decision. And what they're trying to do here is a bunch of red herrings, cases they know, laws they know will be thrown out because they know it's going to take a year or two years or three years to throw them out. And in the meantime, they can do a lot of political ads about how I stood up to the Supreme Court. And it's just like George Wallace in the South fighting integration. You know, he stood in the schoolhouse door after, even after the Brown decision saying segregation now, segregation yesterday, segregation forever. Mm-hmm. And he knew he was lying. He knew that he couldn't do that because he knew that Brown v. Board of Ed required integration. But he was posturing for the Alabama voters just as surely as Hochul is posturing for the New York mm-hmm. voters, uh, trying to pretend they can do something they can't. Mm-hmm. So what's going to happen now is there'll be a law that said, oh, if you're right-handed and you have red hair, you can't take a gun into a taxi. And uh, the NRA will appeal that. The lower court will rule in their favor. The appellate court will rule in their favor. New York will appeal it to the Supreme Court, which will rule in our favor. And that will establish that. And then the next week it will say that blonde people yeah, yeah, yeah. can't carry well, a gun. they're buying time is what you Yeah, say. they're buying time. And they're, and they're trying to eat up the clock mm. with these motions. And it's exactly the strategy that the racists used to try to kill school integration. Wow. Uh, let's go to um, Joanne in Yonkers. Hey, Yonkers again. Yonkers, K-I-S-S, Yonkers. Hi, Joanne. Hi, good to talk to you. I love your show. Thank you. I just want to say millions of dollars were spent on investigations based on Hillary's lies regarding Trump receiving favors from the Russians. Right. Why can't she be sued or made to pay to the investigations based on her lies. She's got millions of dollars. Why should everybody else's taxes have to pay you're right. for those yeah. investigations? Well, of course you're right. But, I mean, take a number and wait online. <laughs> uh, prosecute her <laughs> for for tax shelters. <laughs> prosecute her for uh, breaches of security and government emails. Lying. Prosecute her for... Um, for, for is creating the Russiagate scandal in the first place yeah. by hiring Steele to produce the phony dossier, prosecute her for spreading the lies to the media, prosecute her for lying to the FBI. You know, we got a list of things. And why to, is she getting away with this? Well, she, ha- she hasn't yet. She's not dead yet. <laughs> and we'll be going after her. Please, not, but everyone says that, but does it ever happen? Let's go to George in Rockland. Hey, George. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Just a very quick question here, okay? The way you describe it, it seemed to me that the Clinton Foundation is basically a money laundering machine. Uh Exactly. I was just wondering, uh, what about Obama and, uh, you know, and maybe even Biden? Do they have this type of a money laundering machine? What is his son? No, no, no. His son does his own stuff, and Joe and his father profits from it. Yeah. That's well, not. Well, that's but the, the same, though. Well, it's, it's the same crime, maybe, but it's not the same mo. Mm. What the Clinton Foundation did was posing as a charitable entity. It told 
people that wanted favors from the government. Pay us, and we will send Bill Clinton to give a speech to you, and Hillary will deliver what you want. Mm. Classic pay-for-play, classic bribery. You think it was a, a wink and a nod? It wasn't really the, No, the, it was much, came, much, you can't do a wink and a nod on these. This is not just really an easy decision. This is a regulatory nightmare. I want you to make 100 phone calls wow. for me. You got to navigate through this board and that board and get that agency's wow. approval and so on. It takes emails. It takes tons of emails, phone calls, but emails. Right. And that's why she wanted to suppress the email stuff. Right, right. Uh, let's go to uh, Michael in Rockaway. Hey, Michael. Dick, I have to tell you, I really enjoy your uh, segment here on Sunday. I'm sorry you're not on the rest of the week like you were that one week. Right. Maybe John's listening. He can uh, do something about that. Okay. But I have two comments. Uh, uh, I just wanted to make uh, mention that you mentioned about two months ago uh, this idea of the artificial womb. Yeah. That would... Uh, yeah. Make a great effort mm-hmm. towards correcting this yeah, abortion. That's what we need to do. That's right. And the other one is that the other comments I have is about Bill Clinton. I know somebody that went to a wedding. He was there. At the end of the wedding, he knew everybody at the table, their yeah. spouses' names, children. Is he really that intelligent? Yes. Yeah, Bill Clinton is awesomely intelligent. He's not doesn't have any common sense. <laughs> uh, but he's, uh, you know what he's like? Um Marshal Foch of the French Army in World War I said of graduates from the military academy, they come out and they know everything. <laughs> Unfortunately, they don't know anything else. <laughs> well, thank you. This has an been honor an especially fun Morris, segment. an honor to be here with you. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.